Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. I know, I know. You're wondering, where's the sound of Kion Wolf? Where's the pitter-patter of little wolf paws? Um, well, I miss her too, but she's got a cold today, and so we have quarantined her. It's been quiet here at WNPR without her, and Mr. Dankoski is uh, traveling. Uh, so, But it's not that quiet, and we have a really interesting show for you today, but I do miss having her introduce it. We're going to talk about adjunct professors today, and um, there's so much to say about this. I, I should declare, I guess, in advance that I am, I guess, the- theoretically occasionally an adjunct professor. I don't know if you're always an adjunct professor or whether it's something you just do from time to time, like being a groom. Uh, anyway, we uh, have great guests for you in the show today. And uh, I just, I'm sort of guessing from the social media activity that I've been seeing that we're going to have a lot of phone calls. So I should probably say what the phone number is, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. I should say we have in studio uh, three adjunct professors and one uh, associate professor. Uh, and we have, uh, as I say, a lot of people are going to be calling in and also on the phone, uh, we have the founder of what's called the Adjunct Project. Adjunct Project, I didn't say that very well, a crowdsourcing project collecting national data on the working conditions of adjunct professors. We're going to be spending some time here in the first segment talking to him, Joshua Bolt. Joshua Bolt. Before, but before I do that, um, maybe we should define our terms. So John Muller, uh, adjunct professor of uh, history at uh, Central Connecticut State University, for those people who, for whom this just isn't a, a phrase that rolls off the tongue, I guess that would include me at this point, uh, or, or just not second nature, wh- what do we mean when we say adjunct faculty? What does that mean? It can mean several things, but it's someone who's basically an at-will employee. In other words, you're hired for some shorter period of time, a semester, could be a year, um, and then you have no guarantee of rehire. Uh, and you may be limited to how many courses you teach at CSU. It's eight credits. But I'm also, in order to live, I'm also at Manchester Community, where I do two courses, and the University of Hartford, where I once had three, then had two, and now have one. So um, uh, you'll see this is a persistent theme as we go along here. But just before we go over to Josh, I just want to kind of emphasize that when we're sort of defining terms. And, and might it be the case that if I asked everybody on this show what an adjunct professor is or an adjunct faculty is, everybody would define it a little bit differently? I think so. You should yeah. try. All right. Uh, we'll do that as we go along here. Cool. I'm, I'm going to bring everybody else into the discussion and say all their names and stuff as we go. But uh, I just want to begin by sort of getting some uh, basic numbers uh, from Josh Bolt here. Joshua Bolt, as I say, founded the Adjunct Project, a crowdsourcing project collecting national data on the working conditions of adjunct professors. Um, first of all, Joshua Bolt, would you agree with the definition just offered by John Muller? Or, or if you had to explain to a Martian or a five-year-old what, uh, what an adjunct professor or a faculty member is, how would you say it? John's definition is a good one, I would say. Uh, I mean, as, as a matter of fact, as you kind of hinted at, there are about as many different definitions of adjunct as there are adjuncts, really. I mean, there, and uh, a big part of that just comes from the broad range of people who choose to be adjuncts. I mean, we have part-timers, full-timers, people who are retired and back to teach a class or two, graduate students, working professionals. I mean, the list goes on. So it's hard to, to, to place a, a specific definition on 
on what an adjunct is, but, uh, but you know, John's definition is as good as any for sure. Now, does your project, the adjunct project, does that, does that exist because, um, because adjuncts are kind of understudied? In other words, almost everybody belongs to some kind of professional organization or, or uh, I mean, there's sort of a way to quantify most people. You, you could come up with a, a number of how many public radio show hosts there are, probably how many firefighters there are in, in you know, five states. Um, but I feel as though maybe one reason your project exists is that adjuncts are a little bit understudied and underquantified as well. Sure, definitely. I mean, I would say there are kind of two main reasons for why the project exists. And one is just that the fact that there are so many different kinds of adjuncts and, and, and previously there had been no way of bringing these people together to kind of discuss the future of the profession and what, you know, what exactly uh, adjuncts uh, can do to uh, ensure, you know, academic integrity as, as, as we move into the, um, the coming years. And the second reason really is uh, I learned uh, early in the project how drastically different pay and working conditions can vary from school to school to do the exact same job. And uh, I was pretty surprised by that, to be honest. So I wanted to just kind of come up, come up with a way that we could compare these schools in order to show, showcase who the best employers were and, on the flip side of that, the worst employers as well. You know, uh, we're talking to, uh, to Josh, but also Kim. Kim, as we, as we, I was walking in and out of this room uh, earlier today. I, I sensed the conversation that you guys were having was maybe about that too, about just the disparities in pay. Um, yeah, I've taught at three different different institutes, yeah, institutions, um, primarily at Central right now, and I've been at uh, Tunksis and also at um, University of Hartford, and. Yeah, the pay is very different from organization to organization, and also it's very different. Well, somewhat different based on how many years of that you've been there, and whether you have a terminal degree, uh, whether you don't. But um, from department to department, I don't think it changes within the same school. Um, and so, Josh, another question that I have is um, in terms of the crowdsourcing that you do, in terms of the kinds of – first of all, we should just sort of talk about how many adjuncts you've heard from. How many adjunct uh, professors or faculty have participated in your crowdsourcing study? Well, you know, Josh may have actually been knocked off the line. So it's a good thing that we're all – you know, I'm not hearing back from him. So uh, let's see if we can reestablish uh, our contact with Josh. And I'm going to go uh, introduce the panel here. I, I think I actually sort of brought Kim aboard without even telling you who she was. That was Kim Dorfman. She's an adjunct professor in the English department at uh, Central Connecticut State University, as you heard. She's uh, done this in other places as well. Barry Schaller is an adjunct professor in public policy and law at Trinity College where I am also sometimes an adjunct professor and a retired associate judge of the Connecticut Supreme Court. Uh, Jeff Bayliss is an associate professor of history and director of Asian studies at Trinity College. Uh, and as you heard earlier, Joshua Bolt, whom we will reestablish contact with, is the founder of the Adjunct Project, uh, a crowdsourcing project collecting national data on the working conditions of adjunct professors. Actually, before I talk to any more adjuncts, let me just talk to Jeff Bayliss for a second here. You know, I mean, it, it, one of the things I think that we, we're going to hear about today is you know how how hard it is uh, frequently for for the adjuncts and how sometimes they feel as though they don't have the same status uh, they feel as though 
they don't have maybe even they're not accorded even the same level of respect in some cases. Uh, uh, I've already been reading about situations where they don't have the key to the supply cabinet that the professors have. I don't. How does this look from your end? Well, I think that's. I, I would agree with a lot of that. I think um, that uh, it has created. And the reliance on adjuncts, and I think now they, I, I think it was the Chronicle of Higher Education, I may be wrong on the publication, but someplace recently found that the majority of uh, teaching faculty are actually adjuncts um, in, across the board. Um, and I think it's, we've set up this sort of artificial class system um, because there's really no difference in most cases in terms of the educational background of people who end up as an adjunct or people who end up in tenure track. Uh, and it's really just sort of the luck of the draw when you come out of graduate school, in many cases, what you get. Um, I think we have reestablished uh, converse, our, our contact with Joshua Bolt. I want to go back to him about this. And um, Joshua Bolt, I don't know if this is something that has sort of turned up in your crowdsourcing study, but you know, Jeff Bayless just referenced something that I've been seeing a lot too, which is a n- number that flutters probably between 70 and 75 percent of the workforce, the, the academic workforce in higher education these days is at least not tenured and not on a tenure track, uh, which probably – defaults them mostly into that adjunct category. Um, is, that, is that a number that seems right to you? I, I don't know how much information you have about that. That is right. In fact, actually, the, uh, the AAUP, the American Association of University Professors, has done multiple studies on that. And their most recent one, which I believe was published in 2009, does state, in fact, that 70% of faculty now teach off of the tenure track. And that's a trend that has changed, has basically flipped over just the last 30 years. Uh, and set in around 1970, uh, in the 70s, there were about 70% of professors on the tenure track. So in the past 30, 40 years or so, that's, that's completely flipped. So that's a weird dissonance, too, because, I mean, if you sort of think about what everybody's mental image of a college professor is, you know, who the college professors are uh, that they get from movies and television and wherever else they get their ideas or maybe just from going to college, um, really to have 70 percent of the workforce not conform to a lot of those aspects is kind of a startling dissonance. So um, obviously the the people participating in your study, uh, Joshua Bolt, are concerned about pay. It's just a problem for adjuncts. But are there other issues that come up again and again? Sure. I mean, uh, well, for one, I would encourage anyone to check the the website out for themselves and view their own schools at adjunct.chronicle.com. But uh, I can give you a little bit of information based on on what I know there. Uh, First and foremost, I would say that this problem that that you referenced, uh, you know, the the dissonance, um, is is not just a matter of, of, you know, being a problem for the teachers themselves, but it's also – uh, a major issue for the students because of the learning uh, conditions that it creates for those students. I mean, it doesn't really matter how good a teacher is. A teacher can be an excellent teacher, but if he or she is working on three different campuses in a day, has no office, uh, working under, without a contract, uh, then there's really no way that that could possibly be creating a good uh, situation for the students themselves. So I think, I think that's an issue to be considered as well. 
You know, that I read that in some cases, some places, and, and John may be able to talk a little bit more about this too, in some cases, uh, it, some, uh, some institutions are working on the whole idea of at least bringing adjuncts into the fold to the extent of some kind of help with health insurance, health care. Obviously, it's on everybody's minds these days. If you found out much about that, I would imagine, once again, nationally, that's all over the map, whether you get health care, whether you get some kind of subsidy, whether you get nothing. Uh, that's actually that's that's true. I mean, that's uh, the the vast majority of ANCHAP professors that have filled out uh, entries on the website indicated that they have no health insurance. I I'd have to check to be sure, but I believe that the last time I checked, the number was somewhere around 95 percent of all respondents do not have health insurance through their employer. So very few, very few adjuncts do do receive health insurance right now, and there's been. Uh, there's been some uh, issues as a result of the Affordable Care Act and uh, hours mandated for health insurance as well that I've, I've read you know, about in the, the Chronicle of Higher Education recently. You know, I guess the other question I'd have for you, Josh, and then I'm going to kind of get back to our panel here and kind of introduce them a little bit more extensively. But, um, you know, for most of us who work in a workplace, we're used to having some sense of participation in the life of the workplace and maybe even some involvement in, in how things are done and how things are run. Uh, and I know in college campuses, I mean, faculty, faculties have faculty senates. They have all kinds of sort of governance apparatus. Um, and, and I'm guessing once again that for adjuncts, uh, it, it's it's less the case that they have as much say in in how the place is run, what the governance is, what the rules are, things like that, than their tenure track colleagues. That's a really good point as well, and that's something that that we don't often think about. I mean, our, immediately we're concerned about you know things like paper course uh, benefits, retirement packages, but there is something to be said about having some influence in faculty govern, governance and committee meetings as well. And the adjunct project also states whether or not the respondents do have that sort of participation because that is an important part of, of uh, being a professor. Um, are you noticing any trend lines, either in terms of pay or benefits or anything like that? Is anything um, poised to change as you study a large group of adjuncts? Well, I can tell you this. Over the last year or so, there have been a lot of adjuncts who have kind of been standing up and saying that it's time for a change. Um, I don't know if you've if you've followed much of the the adjunct organizing that's occurred in 2013, but the uh, the union uh, SEIU has kind of a of a subgroup called Adjunct Action, and they've organized adjuncts in D.C., Boston, L.A., and they have many more uh, on the way across the country. So. Certainly, uh, organizing has picked up dramatically for adjuncts, uh, which is, uh, I believe, a step in the right direction. Um, so that would be that would be one one trend for sure. Yeah, certainly in Washington, quite a, ray, uh, a wave. Uh, SEIU unionized American University, Georgetown, George Washington, and Montgomery College. So yeah, quite a wave there. Well, Joshua Bolt, so great to talk to you, and thanks very much for sharing with us. I wanted to say once again, our number eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. 
860-275-7266. You know, before we go to break, though, I'd like to all meet everybody on the panel, and I think nobody's met Barry so far except us. Uh, Barry Schaller is, an, as I said, adjunct professor in public policy and law at Trinity College and a retired associate justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court. So, Barry, early on, Josh and, and I think John both said, you know, adjuncts are a lot of different things. And I think you and I probably, as adjuncts, fit into kind of a similar category. Unlike a lot of people, unlike Kim, we're not trying to make a living as adjuncts. We would probably have done something else. Uh, and, and now we're supplementing our lives uh, by, by teaching. Does that describe your, your, I mean, why are you an adjunct these days? That, that's a good description. I, I suppose my perspective is, is a little different uh, in part. I, about 15 or 20 years ago, decided that I saw myself having a teaching role in life and I wanted to teach things I was interested in or things that where I had something particular that I thought I could convey. So I've taught actually as an adjunct at six different educational institutions in Connecticut, right now at the Yale Law School as well as Trinity, but quite a, quite a bit at Wesleyan in their graduate uh, GLSP program. Every institution is different, and so I have been a kind of a voluntary adjunct in a way, willing to accept the conditions, but I've ruled out teaching at places where I felt somewhat de demeaned by the approach, and I must say at both of these places, I feel that I'm uh, part of the community, in part at Trinity, thanks to Rennie Folco, the department head of public policy, and at Yale, because they do tend to include you and the whole faculty. But once you're in there, you do suffer the same things. You get $40 an hour compensation, approximately, as it works out to be. You, you have an uncertainty about whether you're going to be teaching any given semester. Um, and you feel rather isolated. I'm teaching in the evening at Trinity now, so it's very isolating, and pretty much, pretty much on your own. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm in that category, but I understand the feeling of being an adjunct and not being appreciated by the institution and so on. Um, it's, it's been a, a gratifying experience, however, and I understand that what the role of adjuncts is along with all the other interests in the community. Yeah, and I think that's sort of a double-edged sword, too. Like, I don't want to go to a lot of meetings, so I'm really right, happy right. that nobody wants me at them. Um, well, I feel that at both those institutions, I'd be welcome to do more than I have time to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't do a lot more, uh, maybe at the law school a bit more, but I don't have time at Trinity to, to get out there and go to things. I, I wouldn't be welcome to take the faculty meetings, mm -hmm. probably, but, um, but I, I could do that. Uh, I went to one faculty meeting. <laughs> I went to uh, one. Too. I would now fake my own death to get out of going to another one. But, um, right. you know, Kim, he says an interesting thing about sort of, you know, what it works out to per hour. But one of the things that I noticed about adjuncts, like as we were getting ready for this show today and we started talking to a lot of adjuncts, and I'd love to hear John on this too, but um, is um, – and, and, and I just intuitively know this to be the case, that uh, if you're moving around a lot from institution to institution – and therefore changing the courses that you teach all the time. Um, one of the things that you're, I think, constantly having to do is prepare for a course that you've never taught before and that you never really were ex even expecting to teach. And, and as we were inviting adjuncts to be on the show and stuff like that, I can't tell you how many people told me, oh, I would love to do that, but I have a course 
you know, at four o'clock, and I really I need that time. I've got to have the time to prepare. And not to suggest that somebody like Jeff isn't engaged in an intense preparation, uh, but he sort of knows where his office is, and and you know, he might actually have the opportunity to teach the same course five or six times. Uh, whereas I'm guessing a lot of times you're really sort of having to learn the course as you're teaching it, which is a bigger hour load. Well, yes and no. Okay. I, I once was um, um, given a world lit from 1650 to the present mm-hmm. course. Um, and I knew very little about that. So I did learn about it, and I've taught it subsequently, and it's been great. Mm-hmm. But initially, I was kind of like, how am I supposed to teach that many years mm-hmm. in, uh, all around the world <laughs> in 15 weeks? Um, so that was that was tricky. Mm-hmm. But I think also that it varies from department to department, and even within the departments, which classes you're teaching. Um, when I've taught lit, there's not the same kind of homework load that there is when you're, well, when I've been teaching um, freshman comp mm-hmm. or academic writing, as, as it's now known, intro to academic writing. Um, here are these kids that come from um, high school where they've learned to write a five-paragraph essay, and you need to bring them from that to writing um, academic, at, in an, at an academic level across the curriculum. So that's a lot of work. Mm. And John Miller, maybe you can say a little bit more too. How how, may, how the workload uh, of adjuncts either mirrors or does not mirror the workload of tenure track professors. History of American sports is an upper division class. I once had to teach history of American sports as an upper <laughs> division class. I had no prep, no prep time. Right, everybody who took it wanted to work for ESPN. They all knew more than I did. It was the worst <laughs> experience of my life, I, and it was three hours at night. I would get through it. I would survive. Yeah. I would then feel okay, and then it would get closer and closer, and I'd start to feel stupider and stupider and stupider. <laughs> Finally, I realized they knew nothing about tennis, bicycle racing, or boxing. Mm. So that's what they learned, because otherwise <laughs> they knew more than I did. So it can be a horrific experience. I've never forgotten that one. That one was bad. And it seems like one of the realities for adjuncts, I'm not saying, I, I don't know that it necessarily applies to any of you sitting in this room, I'm, although as we go to the phones, I guarantee you we'll hear this story. Is I mean, I've watched at community colleges where the the student body size can fluctuate pretty wide uh, pretty widely from semester to semester so suddenly they need more teachers for the required math course or or whatever it is than they had anticipated so adjuncts are hired you know pretty much on the spot for a course that they really haven't any had any time to prepare for true absolutely true and the opposite is true too um, when enrollments go down unexpectedly which is happening at Manchester this semester um, you suddenly need considerably fewer so the, and it's just total shock. This right? really is like the grapes of wrath. <laughs> <laughs> Except we dress better mostly. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, we're going to take a little break here. We'd love to hear from you. 860 <laughs> 870-2657-2666. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about adjuncts. Oh, we can't wait to hear from you. We've got a bunch of calls coming in. 860-275-7266. Don't be shy, adjuncts. Uh, this is your time to talk. 860-275-7266. And you may tweet us at WNPR Colin. I think we have Greg Hill, our tweet master in the house today. WNPR Colin. That's where you follow us on Twitter, too. Uh, before we go on, I have to tell a quick story about being an adjunct. Um, so when I... <laughs> 
<laughs> when I first started in the 1980s, I was an adjunct at Trinity. I was teaching writing at the time. I've gone on to teach other stuff since then, but I just was start, first starting out at uh, teaching writing. And uh, I'll condense this story for a lot of very good reasons. But um, two of my students, well, one of my students in the class started writing this personal essay, which she did not want to share with the rest of the class, but she wanted a chance to work on a personal essay of a certain kind, and I gave her that chance. And then I suddenly realized that it was a personal essay of a sexual nature, and it was about another student in the class. And then he started writing a personal essay uh, that he didn't want to share with the rest of the class, but it was really about how he'd gotten his other girlfriend pregnant and that she needed an abortion and stuff. And I'm, this stuff is all kind of unfolding. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I mean, guys like Jeff Bayless, they've probably handled this stuff a million times, you know. I don't, and it's just that I don't have any teaching skills. I don't know anything about how to deal with this situation. It's getting weirder and weirder. But I was still trying to manage it on my own, and it was getting more Baroque even than what I've described so far. And I was by that, at that time borrowing the office. It was this great guy, Rob Thomas, who was a teacher at Trinity. He was doing a semester up at Harvard, and he was lending me his office. And so one day Rob is passing through to pick up some books or whatever, and he says, well, how's it going? This is my first year, you know, as an adjunct. <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, I've got this situation that I'm sure comes up all the time, but I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm just I'm not prepared for it." And so I described the situation, and Rob looked at me and he goes, "I've been teaching for 20 years. I've never heard anything that terrible <laughs> in my life. We are walking over to the dean of students right now." <laughs> so that's one of the, you know, that's one of the things as an adjunct. I mean, you guys, uh, you guys are pros now, Kim and John, but and Barry sounds like you are too. But you don't know what you don't know sometimes, you know, and it's. Uh, you do run into those kinds of things. We've got a lot of calls coming in. But before we do that, I want to um, – Jeff, you know, one part of all this, uh, you're, you're a tenure guy. Part of this is research. This is the thing we're not talking about right, right now, really. So part of your job is you have to do and publish research. Mm-hmm. So is there a kind of a symbiosis that, then? Is that one of the reasons there are adjuncts? Because – to do the job as to do your job as academia defines it, mm-hmm. you couldn't carry the kind of course load that maybe they're carrying. I think that's part of it. I know also that adjuncts generally come into well our department and other departments when somebody is on leave. So that's a very direct connection between one person getting time off to do their paid time off to do their research and somebody else being brought in on uh, you know, a contract of some sort of length or even just on a per course basis. So certainly there is that connection there. Um, research is one of the, the interesting things about the, the profession. To, to, if you're tenure track, of course, the, the pressures to produce research are immense. Um, it is the one thing we have this kind of rubric of, of service, teaching, and scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're supposed to sort of you know, put things in all three of those buckets as you move towards the tenure decision. But as you move closer to it, of course, it all becomes research that's really uh, looked at quite a bit. Teaching, too, but, but service is something that you're expected to maybe do a few things for. But when you move beyond tenure, once you get it, that's when you really are considered to be part of the institution and they expect a lot more there. So research, though, is, is one of the things that um, at least when, when I came to Trinity, it was, it's a, still is. It's a five courses a year that we teach. Um, and it was a little bit unclear still at that time how, aside from junior faculty leave, which we were given, it's uh, a semester of, of leave prior to um, the tenure decision, um, 
it was unclear where you were going to get that time. Now, I know this must sound great to adjuncts who get no time, mm -hmm. uh, certainly no paid time whatsoever to do their own uh, work. And that, I think, gets them into this could get a person into this kind of vicious cycle where where do you find the time to do the research that then when you apply for that tenure track job uh, is going to make that search committee look and go, wow, this person's doing the kind of work that we want to have in our department. That's a great point. Uh, let me just grab a, a few calls here because we have a lot of them coming in. Here's the Ruth Ann. Um, who, should I identify you by your institution, or I'll just let you say who you are. Okay, that's fine. Hi, Colin. Hi, Ruth Ann. I'm so pleased that you're covering this issue. I'm Ruth Ann Baumgartner. I'm currently teaching part-time with Kim in the English Department at Central Connecticut State University. I have taught part-time elsewhere as well. And most of the things I would say about the life of the adjunct uh, are already being said, and Josh Bolt has done great work uh, putting that together. I'd like to express a couple of concerns I have about just the the erosion of the general educational enterprise as a consequence of this increasing well, this uh, mushrooming of dependence on part-time faculty. The two things that concern me most are the, uh, you mentioned faculty governance. Mm. The, the full-time faculty bear the weight of faculty governance, and the participation of the faculty in academic decisions is crucial. But the smaller the number of full-time faculty to do that participating, the easier it is for administrations to usurp some of that control, and we see that happening all the time. Uh, Part-timers may cover classes, but they, they can't participate in taking on the burden of governance. The other thing uh, is uh, how long have we been worried about uh, grade inflation? When the professor standing in front of the room depends for reappointment on how much smiling the students do, um, obviously, that accelerates grade inflation. I know when I taught full-time with tenure elsewhere a long time ago, I was famous for my F-pluses and for, for being a very strict grader. And now papers that I would have graded maybe D or C, I am grading C-plus or B-plus instead. This is bad for uh, education, but it's certainly the only way I can be confident that Students are going to continue to like me well enough that I will be back. All right. Um, those student evaluations, yeah. Well, you know, John, I want to turn to you because I mean, I think you have been one, one possible response to this is, as Josh was indicating, organizing, right? One of the, uh, it won't solve everything. It may not even solve the thing that she's talking about right now, the idea that she might actually give a more favorable grade than, than, than her instincts dictate, although she sounds like way too hard a teacher to me, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to be in Ruth Ann's course if she gives out F pluses, but, um, uh, but she might give a more favorable grade just because she doesn't want to get a bad rating, which is going to lead to a difficulty in, in getting employment. I don't How many things can unionization achieve for, for adjuncts? And, and how, how involved are you? I think you said in one email to me that you're a, a union thug. Yeah. Um, I'm, on, I'm the only person, actually, because I can be in multiple institutions. I'm the only person that's on the uh, CSU AUP Council and the Four Cs, which is the Community College SEIU uh, Union. So I'm the only person on both. Huh. And I've been doing this forever. It can do – it depends on the, the union, depends on the institution – for instance, for the four Cs, part-timers sell out number of full-timers that were critical. Mm -hmm. uh, at the CSUs, the ratio was about half of that. It's still, we're still the majority. 
But there are competing in interests. The union has to represent full-timers, part-timers. But there are things it can do. So for instance, we didn't used to have any ability to get state employee health care. Mm -hmm. And thanks to an idea I came up with, don't criticize me anyway, um, I came up with an idea, which is that, that you were required, you couldn't teach more than eight credits in any state institution because if you taught um, more than that, nine, you got health care. And so you could teach eight credits at uh, a, a community college, eight credits at UConn, eight credits at Central, and not get health insurance. I convinced the union to grieve it and point out that we had one employer, the state of Connecticut, and we won. Hmm. And so you can now get subsidized health care if you teach nine credits anywhere in the state system. So, and without the union, that wouldn't have been possible. Um, various things. Um, there's a seniority clause for the community colleges. So it's not tenure. But at least you're going to get something. On the other hand, at, at the CSUs, there's not that, but there's a course cancellation fee. If they stiff you too late, they owe you money. So it can do some things, but it can't do everything. All right. Uh, let me grab another call here. I, I have a whole bunch of other questions for this panel. The time is going to fly by here. But uh, we have Howard calling in. I believe I know which Howard this is. But, uh, Howard, you're on the air. Yes, you do indeed, Colin. How are you? Fine. Um, yes, I'm a structural engineering professor at UConn, and I must admit that probably sort of a dinosaur in that um, the, the practical uh, types of background that I bring into the courses uh, is diminished uh, year after year with what the pressures of research are and the kind of faculty that we get. Uh, fortunately, I know enough people out there, and I've brought them in to uh, teach courses as adjuncts, and uh, they love it, um, and the students love it, and the department loves it because they're a relatively cheap source, but um, it seems to be a win-win for everybody, uh, filling a lot of needs. Um, well, and, I, and I certainly sympathize with people who are uh, uh, not in that kind of position and are looking to become full-time faculty or looking to make a decent living doing this. You know, let's get. I want to talk a little bit more about that win-win. You know, Barry Schaller, you uh, can wear a couple of different hats in this conversation. I mean, you spent your entire life looking at the justice of situations, looking at te now teaching public policy. As you look at this system that you're in while you're teaching public policy, while you're um, using all of the skills uh, and and judgments uh, that you develop over the lifetime uh, on a bench. Um, I don't, does this look like, is this a good system? Is it, is it a system that would stand up to legal scrutiny? Well, I, I, I like your question because I, in thinking about this show, I did, I did try to get what I thought was sort of an overall perspective. And what I see in the controversy here is the tension or conflict among a, a bunch of very legitimate goals by very legitimate sort of stakeholders or interests with the administrators, the tenured faculty or tenure track, adjuncts and visitors, the staff and the students whose interest is in getting an excellent education with some cost control. Then you've got people wanting to control cost, which is a perfectly reasonable, not wrong at all. You have people wanting to maintain academic excellence, so encouraging research and expertise. You want to protect academic freedom, you want to broaden the curriculum by bringing people in who have a foot in the real world and a foot in the academia. And you want to treat everybody fairly and reasonably. And my view is if adjuncts are worth hiring, they're worth treating fairly. And you want to maintain consistency and fair performance. So 
It's a perfect mediation situation, actually. Now, I know the unionizing makes it a little more adversarial, which is unfortunate, but it's perfect for mediation because everybody's got a legitimate goal. There's obviously nuances um, with each position, but with everybody backing off a little bit from what they'd really like to get, mm-hmm. it, it should be able to work out. Um, I mean, another thing we haven't mentioned exactly is what adjuncts, many adjuncts, really have to offer most. They, they're there to teach, not for any other purpose. That's mm-hmm. why they're in the classroom. And they like to teach, or they wouldn't be doing it probably. They, um, they have a network outside, which can be very beneficial to students. And in fact, I think a lot of, um, ac- a lot of uh, adjuncts do a lot of recommendation letters. I know I do a ton of recommendation letters. They do more one-on-one with students. Sometimes students say, you know, I really get more attention from the adjunct part-timers than I do from the tenured faculty because the adjuncts are really invested in that. So, um, so I, I think there's, there's a lot of, of value that adjuncts of all kinds bring to the table. But when you look at all these competing interests, you've got all basically good things coming together. It's just that you can't satisfy everybody um, to the extent they'd like to be satisfied. They need to really mediate their, these, in, these differences. And it, and it really could be done in a non-adversarial way. The problem, of course, is that adjuncts have not been organized before. So maybe they're, they don't have equal status at the bargaining table. Mm-hmm. And that's what unionization gives them. They, they need the strength to have the, the, the tenured faculty and the administrators be willing to sit down and give them an equal voice. All right. Uh, a very nice summation of that. And by the way, if you want to call in 860-275-7266, we've got some calls online right now, 860-275-7266. Before we go to break, though, I just want to um, go back to you, Kim, because in some ways, you know, we're painting a whole bunch of different pictures of adjuncts. Uh, and uh, so there are people like me and like Barry for whom it's kind of a second career or something else, something else that we do. For you, one of the reasons you're in this, my sense is, is because you're a mom and because you wanted um, a somewhat flexible schedule, right? Um, absolutely correct, yes. And so how has that worked out, though? I mean, it seems to me with the driving from campus to campus, if you're not always teaching on the same campus, uh, the constant uncertainty uh, about what you might be teaching from semester to semester. I mean, has that worked? Do you feel as though that was a satisfactory solution? Um, and... I- in a lot of ways, yes. I'd do it again. I didn't, you know, I'm a single mom, and I didn't want my kids in daycare mm-hmm. uh, from 6 in the morning till 6 p.m. So when they were small and I started adjuncting, um, I would do all the homework after they went to bed at 7 or 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's worked out really well that way. Um, <clears throat> what some people don't realize is that my kids qualify for reduced lunch mm-hmm. because of our household income. Yep. They qualify for um, Husky A mm-hmm. for insurance because we don't get it. Um, and I think my kids are actually now applying to college. I have twins who are seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very interesting to, to look at it as a parent of a potential college student. But – but yeah, I mean, it works in many, many ways, and in other ways, it's not optimal. 
All right. Uh, let's take a little break here. Our number, 860-275-7266. Got a lot of people calling in, but feel free to do that, too. 860-275-7266. Oh, yeah, my name is Teacher, and I'm awesome. Back me up, back up, singers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today's show is produced by Betsy Kaplan. Kion Wolf is home with a cold, but I, the great and powerful Lydia Brown, am holding things together in her absence. Katie Tolarski is executive producer, and Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Our interns today are Anna Novak and Catherine Pikus. The part of Bill Curry was played by Randy Quaid. For show pages, stories, videos, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff, their unclothed bodies covered with Vicks VapoRub doing a tribal dance around the sickbed of Coyote Wolf, visit WNPR.org. Tomorrow on the Nose, how a skinny white woman in a yoga class started a firestorm. Now, back to Colin. All right. Great job by Lydia. I was the one who made her call herself the great and powerful Lydia Brown. Uh, it's all, everything is my fault, actually. We're talking about adjunct faculty right now. We've got a great panel here um, with us. And what I'm going to do, I think, uh, we get some interesting calls coming in. And let me just look at them for a second. Um, and all right, so um, I'm going to get to those calls in just a second. But what I'm going to quickly do before we run out of time is I'm going to go around the panel here, and I'm going to hand each one of you for a second a magic wand where you can change one thing. You can't change everything. You can't change the whole system and everything like that. You can change one thing, make it different. And the union guy always knows his answer. So I'm going to start with John Mueller. Job security. Job security. So when you say job security, I mean, how would, uh, how would you change it? Longer-term contracts, not semester by semester, one year, two years, three years. Um, renewable. Yeah. But, but therefore, you would then know what you're teaching, so there's no history of American sports. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you'd get some consistency, and it would be good for the students. Um, Barry mentioned letters of recommendation. The problem is I write them, mm -hmm. but as a second-class citizen, I'm not sure what they're worth. Mm -hmm. So it hurts the students, too, I think. But if yeah. I was there invested in the institution, that would be different. All right. The next time you have to teach history of American sport, uh, contact Barry's colleague, uh, Judge uh, Doug Levine, and he'll come in and guest teach some of the classes for you. Uh, all right. So, uh, Kim, you've got the magic wand now. What are you going to change? Well, I think I would agree about job security. Um, what some people don't realize is that in the summer, for example, um, part-time faculty is not prioritized mm. um, for teaching, and yet we are not allowed to collect unemployment. Mm. So, and then we are, but at the same time, we're even if though we pay for it ourselves, we're removed from the insurance roster, and uh, we go on to Husky. Mm. Excuse me, not Husky, on to um, Cobra. Yeah. So we're on Cobra. But we can't collect unemployment. Mm -hmm. And yes, knowing from semester to semester what we'll be able to be able to count on is is key. So Jeff Bayless, you're standing on the other side of this line, but you get the magic wand anyway. What would you change about the system? Can I use it to change the same thing that John and Kim did? Or oh, right. you um, think that's the key thing? I, I think it is the key thing. And and uh, from our perspective, from the the tenured perspective too, since we have adjuncts in the department and we ask them to do. Really, with the exception of committee work, uh, everything in the department that somebody who's tenure track or tenure does, they advise students. We've had them teach first-year seminars. Um, so the problem is, and I've heard this from the students, they'll come and say, you know, I really enjoyed that course with Professor X. Where, where is he or she? Oh, well, 
they're not here anymore. And and you, you kind of sense that this is is something for the student that really compromises what they feel they're getting out of, of the major or out of their education. Hmm. Great point. All right, Barry, you're last. You got the magic wand. Well, I, I would say the, uh, sort of a mul- multiple effect, and that is to take a critical look at the hierarchical structure of most edu- educational institutions, the way they're being protected. And that involves respecting the role of adjuncts and realizing that with the educational picture shifting and students being in somewhat more interested in how they're going to use this to really succeed in the outside world, adjuncts are really needed. So it's respecting the role of adjuncts, and I think that has to be expressed through fairer compensation and uh, uh, somewhat more certainty. I, I mean, I respect the, the university administrations in not wanting to allow the cost to escalate so that there's really no advantage not to just hiring more permanent faculty. They're entitled to try to save on the cost, but, I, the, but it, the compensation should be fair. And it, it actually mystifies me why it's so inexpensive as an alternative to hiring a permanent faculty member. Why nickel and dime adjuncts, in a sense, because it's still going to be a great savings, and you're going to reduce that tension. And just if I may make one more point, we entrust educational institutions with teaching our children and presenting them as citizens into the world in many respects. So I think they ought to be able to resolve these conflicting interests in a constructive way as a, as a model for the students they're trying to teach how to go out in the world and do that. When we, just, I want to go to Laura. Well, actually, I'll go to Laura right now because we may be able to um, get right where I want to go anyway. Uh, here's Laura calling up from New Haven. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Good. So what are we missing so far? I agree with fighting for fair compensation. I think as an adjunct, trying to make a living with one class at one institution and one class at the other and driving all around the state without getting gas mileage reimbursement is rather hard. And I think that does have an impact on the students. Um, And when you're in a class, you want to command that class and you're in a position of authority. And um, I always felt that when I was doing that, that I was able to kind of do that. But I also feel that sometimes you have 100 students if you have five classes a semester. And if if compensation weren't an issue, then you would only have to take two or three classes. And that's really the full-time faculty. They have only two or three classes at a time. You know, when, so we, adjunct- when we say talk about compensation being an issue and, and Barry's talking about nickeling and diming and stuff like that, and, and um, um, maybe people don't even have a sort of a sense of this. So um, when you're teaching five classes in a semester, what are you getting per class? Um, it varied per school, and it depends on state, a state school versus a private school or a community college. I found that at community colleges, and I still teach at a community college, um, that I got paid uh, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was getting paid um, about 5000 per per semester, but I also taught at a private school where I earned $1,000 per semester. Which and it was a really complicated course that I had. I had an art history class, <laughs> and there was a lot of prep. So I, I never got compensated for the time that I put into the class. And you know, Laura, I'm just going to ask John. I mean, is it is this the kind of spread that we're talking about? Five thousand kind of high end. 
and 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 maybe three thousand or I mean one thousand sounds like insane, but um, yeah, one is very low. I would say that's, that's indentured servitude, <laughs> basically. That's not even uh, being an adjunct faculty. But John, is this kind of the the, the number spread? Is that, that uh, ring true? That's spot on to the spread. Um, some some private schools pay much better than others. Um, if you have the appropriate terminal degree, uh, as you, as Kim said, um, yeah, it's forty five hundred to five thousand. Private schools thirty five hundred three thousand. But I mean, just sort of doing the same ma- work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So doing the math there, Laura. I mean, a lot of times you might be carrying. I'm just averaging it out, and let's say you're not getting top dollar for all five classes that you're carrying there. So for a semester, you might be teaching five classes, which is an. In, I mean, I can just say as an adjunct faculty, that's an insane workload. It's really, really hard. I don't, you might be pulling twenty grand out of that, something like that. Yeah, I, for well, half I the was, year, basically. Yeah. For I think I was I was making around thirty for the entire year. For the, the entire um, year, woo. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. And one year it was thirty four, and and now I work full time and adjunct. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's you can make it work. I think what really made a difference for me is I am in this adjunct community, and a lot of friends would let me know if there was a class that was open. Um, a lot of department chairs um, make their recommendations based on other faculty. So I think there's a, a team of adjuncts out there that kind of look out for each other. So that was the positive side. Yeah. Um, but it was years and years and years of being underpaid. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. Um, and, and that sounds very tough here. Uh, we might have time for one more call. Let me just grab one quick call, and then we're really going to have to wrap this up. Here's Frank in Meriden. Hi, Frank. Oh, I mean, Frank might not be there, so we may not. I mean, I, I want to just ask uh, the people in the studio. I'm assuming that kind of rings true, too. I mean, Kim, that there's sort of a tribe of, of adjuncts. You kind of look out for one, one another and, and, and let each other know when there are courses coming up in various places. I haven't really had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a few, a few people, but I'm not really tied into um, that that big of a network. We've also got a tweet here that kind of um, jibes a little bit with something that Jeff said. Daniel tweets, in four years of college, I learned more from one adjunct class than everything else combined. That's that teacher that you're talking about, Jeff, right? That the right. student comes and says, where is that person who taught me so well? Exactly, exactly. And we have, you know, I've seen many of them. Um, and it, it really is. It's, it's also for the other faculty, for the tenure track and tenured faculty when they leave. Uh, it really feels like, you know, at least in an apartment that I think is working well, it feels like you've lost, you know, one of the group. Mm-hmm. Hey, John, last question for you. Uh, do, do you have any sense nationally just from your contacts with an SEIU or anywhere else, like what percentage of these thousands and thousands of adjunct faculty are actually in unions now? I don't. Hmm. Uh, and it's going to vary from state to state. Well, yeah. and you know, some states are pulling the plug on state employee unions. So right. that's going to be devastating. Well, it does seem – look, if they can unionize the Northwestern football team, uh, it should be – anything's possible. I want to thank everybody who helped out here today. We had a great panel here. Jeff Bayless, Associate Professor of History and Director of Asian Studies at Trinity College. Barry Schaller, an adjunct professor of public policy and law at Trinity College and a retired Associate Justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court. John Muller, adjunct professor and self-described union thug in the history department at Central Connecticut State University. Kim Dorfman, adjunct professor in English at Central Connecticut State University. Boy, that was a lot of people. Thanks to everybody who helped out uh, today and especially for Tucker Ives who jumped in on the board today and helped us out because Wolfie's not here. Teacher.